You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, El Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome everybody and welcome to week three and also welcome to Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me today from Roto Experts and also Fantasy Sports uh, Network Network Radio, Roto Experts in the morning, Scott Engel. Scott, welcome to the show. First time uh, guest and uh, really, really glad to have you on. Thanks for having me, Al. Good to be with you. Yeah, no, it's always good. Every every time, uh, you know, you and I see each other, uh, you know, usually it's a tout wars, but it's it's something of a reunion because I first met you uh, probably 16, 17 years ago at uh, CBS before I even was a writer for them. So uh, very cool. And you were uh, a fantasy writer for CBS way back in the day. So uh, Yeah, yeah, that's where I started my career from 1996 to 2004. It was, I was... Uh, Senior writer and and uh, and managing editor of fantasy sports, and I'm I'm proud to say you know we built we really built something there that I'm I'm very proud of that I think that they still follow in a lot of ways nowadays. Absolutely, absolutely. From when you were there to when I was there, and and still today. So, uh, but uh, great great to have you here. So uh, as we always do on the show, we'll uh, dig in right away with the news. Uh, the Texas closer situation just got a little more interesting. It's been interesting for well, pretty much since the beginning of the season. But Jeff Bannister, after Sam Dyson's latest blown save, says he will now review the closer situation, which is usually code for I'm going to change the closer. So uh, how are you uh, handling this situation, Scott, in your leagues? Are you speculating on anybody or recommending anybody to speculate on? I didn't actually pick up anybody because a lot of these guys were gone. But, uh, you know, I figure the favorite now has to be Matt Bush now that he's back from the injury and, uh, you know, through a scoreless inning yesterday. As we saw last year, uh, you know, this guy's a very interesting story, but he, he really has the blow-away stuff that you look for when you, we look for that ideal closer. We know that Jeffress did the, the job last year in Milwaukee, but... You never felt like he was the ideal sort of guy that they really wanted, and then they shipped him out and they got Felice this year. He's kind of a fallback option. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Jeffress, like you said, he's the one that's got some some closing experience there, but he's been typically used almost in middle relief, like some sixth inning appearances, uh, maybe some seventh, but not not really sniffing the the eighth or the ninth. So he seems to be out there. I I went pretty far down the pecking order in terms of. Um, who I pursued, Scott, because as you mentioned, uh, Bush gone in a lot of leagues. I mean, pretty much after the first Dyson meltdown, a lot of people, rightfully so, speculated on Matt Bush. And then it would seem when, when Bush was out, uh, you, know, you got the injection, was out for a few days, and Dyson was getting a break from closing. So it looked like Tony Barnett was, I guess that would be third in line. <laughs> and uh, then behind him, Jose Leclerc. So that's the guy I actually bid on in a couple of leagues this weekend, fully knowing that he was not going to be the closer, even if Bannister made the change. But I think just looking long-term, because learning the lesson from Matt Bush, that once the, you know people get the scent of somebody having a chance at closing games, they're, they're gone. 
unless it's a very shallow league. And just looking at the skill sets, thinking, well, okay, if it doesn't go well for Bush or he gets hurt again, that LeClerc has a, an awfully nice skill set. And if nothing else, he could be somebody who maybe pitches multiple innings and puts up really great ratios. So for now, I'm, I'm rolling with Jose LeClerc, but probably not going to get any saves from him. So, yeah, Barnett uh, also closed, closed in Japan, and Jeff Bannister know, noted that saying, you know, he basically knows the role here. And this is an interesting team, and I'm just speculating. I'm not going by anything I have here. You know, this is a team that I could see making a trade for David Robertson at some point. Yeah, uh, that's. I think that's a good point, and the Nationals are really the team I think that's been most associated with Robertson. I could maybe see that happening, but again, that didn't go down in the offseason when, when those two teams were trading. So Texas may be the next most likely uh, landing spot for Robertson. So maybe I just wasted a few dollars on Jose Leclerc, but we shall see. Uh, moving on to some injury news. Jay Happ left his start on Sunday against the Orioles uh, early, and uh, he is getting an MRA on his left elbow today. So that, that's uh, never a combination of words you want to see uh, with any pitcher. But uh, you definitely need to uh, stay uh, stay apprised of what's going on there. And I would say that Hap is, is somebody, if you have rolling lineup blocks, uh, because, of course, the first pitch has already been thrown today. The first game is already over between the Red Sox and the Rays. So uh, if you still are able to make lineup changes, Jay Hap is somebody who should probably not be in your lineup. And the same could be said for Rich Hill, who uh, last I saw Scott still hadn't been placed on the DL. But uh, I would think that that's almost a certainty. He left his start early against the Diamondbacks with an aggravation of his blister. And uh, it would seem very, very likely that Alex Wood will uh, pick up Hill's uh, turn in the rotation when that comes around. So um, what uh, what do you think about those two uh, pitchers, uh, Rich Hill and Alex Wood? Kind of hard to trust either just in terms of the innings because of Hill's injuries, but then Wood's sort of role so far as understudy uh how, how uh you know how amenable are you to, to rostering these guys right now oh with hill i was never big on him because you know i spoke to somebody major league veteran who was you know saw him closely last year and he said you know rich hill's like a trick shot artist you know who basically uh the luck is going to run out at some point wood is an interesting guy because he always seemed to pitch well uh, to a degree in Atlanta, but uh, the win numbers were never big because of the environment in Atlanta. Of course, we know you can't chase wins, but there really wasn't anything for him. And I think, I think maybe God wants Alex Wood to be in the rotation because he's a solid pitcher, and the opportunities seem to keep popping up. And you mentioned Jay Happ as well, and uh, we have a new injury report up on RotoExperts.com uh, from the guys at InsideInjuries.com, and they think. Yeah, this could be very interesting as far as happen. Could any boy or could be uh, could could be from a two to four week injury uh, if it's inflammation. Uh, of course, if it's torn UCL, we all know the diagnosis there. Right, right. Well, you know, but that's good to kind of set a baseline on it so that we shouldn't expect Hap to pitch for two more weeks. And like I said, two to four. So this is not just necessarily uh, a one start thing. You know, now with the the uh, 10-day DL, and of course, Hap, like I said, uh, I don't think he's been placed on the DL yet. But um, from what you say, Scott, it sounds like that's just going to be um, pretty much formality then for Hap. Uh, Miguel yeah. Cabrera, 
left his uh, left uh, Sunday's game against the Indians early with a stiff back. Uh, does not seem to be serious, but obviously something that needs to be monitored day to day. And Joe Ross, we may finally see him make his season debut. Uh, could be this Wednesday uh, because that's a TBD slot right now for the uh, for the Nationals. So uh, that could be the time for uh, Joe Ross uh, to, to make his first start of the year, and that would be against the Braves, which would be pretty pretty nice matchup in terms of, in terms of strike potential. So um, you, you excited all about Joe Ross this year, Scott? I think for what you paid for him, I think you know it's it's legitimate to to uh, to be excited about it. I mean, last year at the major league level, we saw him pitch 105 innings average, just under. Eight strikeouts per nine, a 3.43 ERA with a 3.49 FIP. Uh, had a very high strain rate at 76.7, but you know the FIP isn't much different than the ERA. Somebody it was not going to do- dominate, but he's not. He's, maybe he's got more upside than to say a Tanner Roark. I think so, and of course, I, you know, I think Roark gets a, a bit maligned because he's not a big strikeout guy, but he's just so good at inducing soft contact. But uh, Ross uh, worked on his changeup in the spring, so you know, I, I think that's kind of an interesting development for him. Uh, I'm mildly excited, but like you say, it's not like you had to spend a lot to get him, so there's not no, a lot of risk there. And I, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything disparaging about Rourke. You know, it's like yeah. you know what he is. But there's no upside. There's some promise there for Joe Ross. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Um, Edward Rod- Eduardo Rodriguez. I was counting on him for a two-start week this week, and as I was uh, sort of toggling between looking at the news and and putting my lineups together this morning, because of course we had to do that very early this morning, uh, I noticed. Uh, I think it was in one of my Yahoo leagues. There was a little the little. Uh, Note next to Eduardo Rodriguez, Rodriguez saying, uh, not active. I'm like, what? Uh, so that was my first inkling that uh, he was not going to be available for his first start this week. Uh, the Red Sox have put him on the paternity list. So you should still get one start from Rodriguez this, league, this week uh, later on at the Orioles. But he will not start uh, at the Blue Jays. And it looks like the Red Sox will likely call up brian johnson to make that start and just to be clear that is not the lead singer from acdc that's a different brian johnson so yeah it's kind of, kind of like when steven pierce of the blue jays gets mixed up with the lead singer from rat you know yeah i'm sure he hates it when that happens yeah steven pierce is rat steven pierce is the baseball player well to, to be I, I have to just fully disclose here scott i actually did not know that there was a member of Rat with a similar name. Oh, Sorry, okay. this is, it's, it's, it's an education for me already. And uh, one more injury note. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just squeeze one more injury note before we uh, uh, go to break in about a minute. Tyler Flowers is day-to-day with the right hamstring strain. So that being day-to-day, uh, wouldn't uh, worry too much about that. Of course, deep league option there. Anyhow, just a quick note, too, in terms of the weather for later today from uh, Roto-Grinders MLB weather report. The one game that might be in danger of a, a postponement or some sort of delay would be the Rangers at the Athletics today. Uh, there's a 38% chance of rain that increases uh, as the uh, game would wear on there. So that's one to watch. Also a late chance of rain with Padres uh, at Atlanta. So if you've got any players in your daily leagues involved in those contests, Keep an eye on that. So, um, 
So that is uh, makes us good to go uh, as far as the news for right now. We're going to head into break. And Scott, when we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the incredible pitching performances from Sunday. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me today from Fantasy Sports Radio and from uh, Roto Experts, of course, Scott Engel. So, uh, speaking of Roto Experts, talk to you for a moment here about the Roto Experts exclusive uh, exclusive Edge in-season fantasy baseball package. It's your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a roto scientist. They'll help you set the ideal lineups every week. And this season, Scott already talked about this on this show, you get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor powered by InsideInjuries.com. So go get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package right now. And start soaring to the top of your standings. Enter the promo code free radio at the checkout for a special discount. So, Scott, I hope I did that justice because good stuff there on uh, Roto Experts. Yeah, very nicely done. Uh, we also got, we also have, uh, you know, regular articles from the in- injury inside of people. So that's what, something you can look forward to. Just pub- published their latest injury roundup about an hour ago. All right, yeah, no, that was very timely. Uh, so that's where you got the uh, the J Hap information, then. Yes, sir. All right, well, yeah, good, good stuff there. Well, let's talk about some pitchers with some some better news. Uh, and th- I did a show earlier, uh, well, actually last week, Scott, uh, a show with uh, Greg Judon from um, from uh, FanRag Sports, and there were a bunch of really good performances from pitchers that we wouldn't expect it from, and they were all these scoreless performances. So I kind of dubbed the segment scoreless outings from places you wouldn't expect. And this is sort of a repeat with the one exception. John Lester pitched seven scoreless against the Pirates, and maybe there was one thing you didn't expect there. It was that he only got three strikeouts. That seems like a pretty uh, optimal uh, matchup for Lester with such a righty-heavy Pirates lineup to only get uh, – only get three strikeouts. But if you're a Lester owner, I'm sure you're not complaining too much. But uh, some other performances, I think, that are a little more intriguing, uh, maybe some some game changers for, for some of us. Dylan Bundy at the Blue Jays. Now, I know the Blue Jays have really, really struggled so far. They've made a lot of pitchers look good. But Bundy came through with six scoreless against them, five hits, just one walk, and six strikeouts. And this impresses me in a way, even though the matchup may look good, that... Toronto's a tough place to pitch with Bundy. I always worry about the long ball and uh, no runs put across one way or the other for Bundy. So uh, does this start say anything to you, Scott, or just Bundy's performance just in general now, three starts into the season? I think it's been impressive so far, three starts into the season. But when you look at this, if you want to be a good, considered a good pitcher, you have to take advantage of this matchup. You know, you can't go into Toronto and you know, get beat around by a team that you know was hitting 190 a few days ago. This is what you want. Uh, so far, you know Bundy's K's per nine are down, but he only has a one one eight one point eight six ERA. You know the strand rate was high is high this year, and it's high last year. But you're gonna have to wonder how much 
that is going to necessarily bite him. But, uh, you know, we were worried about, you know, the home runs last year. And, you know, we're really not seeing that this year. Yeah, so that, that's critical for him. If Buddy can just, you know, take care of that. And, as, again, as a guy who's been a fly ball pitcher in that division and in his ballpark, that's not going to be an easy thing. But if Bundy can keep the ball in the park, then there's, I think there's real stud potential there. Now, winning today's uh, Carlos Martinez Award for weirdest line of the day would be Dan Straley. <laughs> Five and a third, no hit. Not just scoreless. No hit innings. And the Marlins uh, staff collectively took a, a no hitter into the eighth uh, against the Mets. Um Five walks, but five strikeouts. And five strikeouts, strikeouts, pitchers, and five and a third, not a big deal. But for Straley, Straley, that's kind of a nice bonus. But the five walks, uh, but, you know, overall, again, you're probably not complaining too much because the five walks were all that Straley gave up. But he's, you know, he's had his struggles with control over the years. So I know that, you know, you're like you talked about Roark having no upside, and Straley has probably even less. But this is a guy too, like we talk about Bundy, if he can, you know, contain the, the long ball. If Straley could just make some kind of progress on his control, he's thrown sixty percent of his pitches for strikes this year. This is a guy who does not really give up very many hits on balls in play, pitches in a in a good stadium. I mean I'm painting a picture here where I'm trying to convince people that Dan Straley has some appeal. Uh are you buying it at all, Scott? I don't know. I don't know a lot of other fantasy analysts. We're buying it uh, in this season either, especially when you looked at the peripherals last year. They, they're, they're saying to you, well, you know, this guy's way overachieving, especially in a venue like Cincinnati. Uh, he hasn't been all that impressive this year outside that, that one start against the Mets. He, he had really good command of his slider uh, over the weekend. You know, I, I did get a chance to watch this game, but uh, you know, the Mets just... Uh, I don't know what it is. It's just like they got they got handcuffed by a guy I just feel is not a very good pitcher. And, you know, they, he, he shut that lineup down maddingly like he did with Adam Conley, took his pitcher out with a no-hitter, and, you know, the two Marlins fans that were there were not happy about it. But I'm not expecting Straley to necessarily continue this kind of thing. I'm not sold on him. You, you know, it used to be three, Scott, but when I, I moved from South Florida last year, uh, you know, they – they took a big hit to their their attendance. Yeah, it's, uh, it's well, you you were a Marlins fan. You became a Marlins fan because you moved down there. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I lived in South Florida for 18 years, so uh, I, I actually I think got you did tell me that story. I think you did tell me that story. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure we've, we've talked about that, but uh, I'm still, you know, still watch the games, uh, but uh, from afar now. Uh, well, Ian Kennedy. You know, uh, you're, more, you're more loyal than the people that live there. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, looking at the attendance, it's hard to argue that. Uh, let's talk about yeah. Ian Kennedy, though, because he's Gotta another be one who... I... <laughs> sorry, Scott. Uh, you know, Kennedy had a really great spring. I'll admit I completely dismissed it. And, uh, you know, pretty good results here in the regular season. An eight scoreless inning outing against the Angels. But I'll tell you, the part of the line that impressed me Worse even so than the goose egg under the runs. Ten strikeouts. I know Kennedy is, you know, has been a good strikeout pitcher at times, but the Angels lineup, pretty much with the exception of Danny Espinosa, is not a lineup that strikes out very much. But he did get three of those strikeouts against Espinosa, another two against Mike Trout, who's probably the next most likely to strike out in that lineup. But I think when you strike out uh, ten Angels in a game, you're, you're doing something right. 
So is this is this a new and improved Ian Kennedy this year? Uh, I think, you know, he just off to a good start. Last year, 368 ERA. Uh, that's almost a run over what we're seeing now. We've seen a very high strand rate, include last year and this year. 80.7 this year, 83.1 this year. The, the strikeout rate is up over a small sample size this year. But the thing with these Kansas City pitchers is, is you look at him, you look at Jason Vargas, and you look at Jason Hamill, and nobody finds them sexy, but yet they're really not going to hurt you fantasy-wise very much, any three of them. Of the three, to be honest, coming into the season, I would have thought Kennedy was the, the riskiest because he has been prone, again, to, to give up the home run even since uh, joining the Royals and pitching in a homer-averse stadium. Uh, but, you know, sort of like Bundy, if he can cure that, then he's going to be pretty good. But unlike Bundy, we, we sort of know who Ian Kennedy is and who he's been over the years. So I, I do remain a bit skeptical. Now, um, pitching for the Angels in that game was Tyler Skaggs, who uh, just about matched him. Seven scoreless, uh, four hits allowed, just two walks, and nine strikeouts over seven innings for Tyler Skaggs. And I featured him, I, I write a piece for FanRag uh, every Saturday called Sunday Streamers, uh, aimed at uh, people with daily lineup leagues uh, who may need uh, a push in a particular category. And the thing I wrote about Skaggs uh, was that I thought that this was a, a good matchup for him at the Royals in terms of uh, you know a team that's pretty aggressive, but he, you know, he pounds the strike zone. He won't necessarily get uh wouldn't have gotten a lot of strikeouts so i missed it there with with skags getting the nine strikeouts but just thought it'd be a good game for him to go deep be efficient um you know get a winner a quality start put up good ratios and he he definitely delivered there and i paired him with antonio senzatella who also pitched yesterday otherwise he wouldn't have been in the sunday streamers column and i said they're very similar and they actually had kind of similar starts aside from the strikeouts so let's talk about skags first uh, 72 strikes thrown out of 103 pitches, 21 called strikes. So that's kind of the MO for Skaggs. But in this game, 15 whiffs. Um, so good game all around for Skaggs. Uh, do you think he's uh, going to turn the corner this year? He really has the potential to do it. Uh, you know, some of the stuff looked really good in spring training. Uh, then he came out with a bumpy start to open the season. You know, injury issues continue to creep up on this guy. But uh, the, the potential has always been there ever since he's been in the Arizona system. You know, the guy definitely has live stuff. You were wondering how well it was going to come back after the surgery. And with a start like that, you're definitely seeing signs. But I think I need to see more than one out of like that. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And I mean, Skaggs, you know, he sort of changed his profile as a pitcher, you know, over the years. And like you say, um, you know, with, with the injuries and, and Tommy John and such, you know, a lot of uh, stops and starts to the career. Um, now, as I said before, I paired him up with Antonio Sensatella in an analysis that I did. I don't think it, Sensatella has the strikeout upside that Skaggs does, but he's looked awfully good now. Three starts into the season. This wasn't a scoreless start for Sensatella. Three runs allowed. Uh, just three strikeouts, but no walks. Really good control pitcher. Uh, went very deep in the game. This was at San Francisco. So... Do you think that Sensatella is close to comparable with Skaggs? Are you buying into what he's done at all, or is this, you think, just a mirage so far? Sensatella is a guy who hasn't spent too much time in the minor leagues uh, last year because of an injury, but while he's been there, the numbers have been impressive. In fact, he was the uh, Carolina pitcher of the league in 2015. 
Uh, you know, he's only 22 years old, and we've seen a really good start for him. He pitched six strong innings yesterday before he came out and gave up three runs in the seventh. But you know, you, you, you still you still have trouble, like just on principle, like running a a Colorado pitcher out there. It's like he's at home this week against San Francisco, and if you're setting your lineup, you just you can't bring him to do it. Where whereas, like if he you know if he was on the road, you might give it more of a shot. Yeah, that's the thing. The venue was really well suited to him, which was you know part of the reason why I included him in that Sunday streamers. It just seemed like it was really almost like a perfect storm for for Sensatella. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the one thing is he is more of a pitch to contact guy than I think Skaggs will be this year, and uh, you know I think that's what separates him. That could be a big separator for for a guy like you said who's going to pitch pitch roughly half of his course field. Uh, we uh, we got a few more pitchers that I want to uh, you know, talk about. I don't think we've got time to, to, to hit for the break, which uh, we're just uh, coming up on here. But uh, Jamison Tyone, Matt Boyd, uh, good starts, and obviously uh, one pitcher you know coming to this year with uh, I think a whole lot more acclaim than the other. And also uh, let's uh, when we come back talk back, talk a little bit about the Phillies bullpen because that one took an interesting turn as well. And uh, stick around for the next segment because in addition to those pitchers, pitchers. A lot of hitters about this battle, so uh, we'll be right back. Stick around. Welcome back, everyone. Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and my guest today is Scott Engel. First visit to the show for Scott. Scott, of course, you can find his work at Roto West Experts as well as right here on Fantasy Sports Network Radio. So, uh, Scott, we talked about some of the pitching standouts from this weekend, a lot of really impressive uh, shutout performances from some pitchers, a uh, few that we still have not gotten to, one of whom is Jamison Tyone. I don't know that there's a whole lot to say here, but it's a, it's a great performance against the Cubs at Wrigley. Seven innings, seven hits, just one run allowed, but an unearned run for James Jamison Tyone, so we could, I guess, uh, make him an honorary member of the Scoreless Pitchers Club. Six strikeouts, three walks, which is maybe the one thing in the line that sticks out a little bit for Tyone because he's a great control pitcher. But is there is there anything to say here, or just we just love like, Jamison Tyone and that's all there is? I uh, was talking to a baseball insider before the, the season. He said it wouldn't surprise him if Tyone ends up being the team's best pitcher. Uh, actually ahead of, uh, of of Garrett Cole. And, you know, you look at him and you look at Glasnow, and sometimes uh, with young pitchers, control is the thing that they really have to rein in quicker than anything else, and it really hasn't been an issue for Tyon. Uh, this K per nine, you know, it hasn't been great over the last two years. Uh, it's a small sample size. He has a very high strain rate so far. This year, his FIP is actually 318, but if that ends up being his ERA, I'll take it. I will too. But, you know, I'm glad you did raise that, Scott, because do you think that this is a sell-high moment for Tyone, as, as good as he is, that maybe people look at the ERA and get a, a little too enthused? No, I mean, you're looking at, what, 61.2 triple uh, innings in AAA last year, a 2.04 ERA with a 195 FIP. Uh, I, I think Tyon's for real. I think a lot of times instead of thinking sell high, uh, you know, there's the, you know, there's the old cliche, why mess with success. 
Yeah, yeah. Not the Tyone's case. That's I, if I I don't have any shares, but uh, if I did, I think that's that would be my mantra. Just don't mess with success. Keep them in the keep them in the rotation. Uh, now I mentioned before the break, Matt Boyd. Kind of funny that I I forgot to mention Hector Santiago, and maybe that's you know some not not so subliminal message for me that I I just I when it comes to fantasy I I just even when he does well I just don't respect him maybe as much as I should uh, because when Santiago's been bad he's he's been so bad you know but he's been good so far this year very good uh, not a lot of strikeouts uh, compared to what we're accustomed to from Santiago but a much much better uh, control than we've also seen in the past. So uh, against the White Sox, again, you may want to put an asterisk there because they've been a nice matchup for a lot of pitchers so far, but seven scoreless for Santiago, six hits, no walks, six Ks. So good K uh, total in that start. But Boyd, another lefty who allows more fly balls than probably would be good for him. Six innings pitched, uh, just one run allowed on seven hits and two walks, only three Ks for Boyd at Cleveland. Now, I said I don't really have a lot of fantasy love for Hector Santiago. Even though Boyd has been one of the most productive fantasy starters up to this, up to this point, I actually dropped him dropped him in town this weekend. I just don't don't buy it. I like it better than Santiago, but uh, am I being – you kind of already showed your hand on Santiago, but uh, was, that, was that foolish on my part to let go of Matt Boyd? Uh, Boyd did, did allow nine base runners yesterday. At one point, he allowed a – a runner in every inning. I think, you know, he had one bad start, one good start, and yesterday was a pretty good start. Uh, you look at Santiago, though, I, just, I don't believe it either. I mean, he's had over <laughs> 90% ran rate so far. I don't I don't see it keeping up. Even when, when he had a good, good ERA last two years ago in 2015, his FIP was pretty high. It's uh, Boyd's got some potential. You know, he's not a blow-away strikeout pitcher. And those kind of guys, they they always they always scare you. Uh, but I, I I prefer Boyd over Santiago. Like you know, we've already seen Boyd get blown up. Uh, you know these these could be two similar type pitchers here. Although you know Boyd is less less proven at the major league level. He's only twenty six. Uh, you know he's he's just a fifth starter for the Tigers. I I I wonder. I, maybe he doesn't have the downside of a Hector Santiago, who's like 29 years old, and when he had a 3.59 ERA two years ago for the Angels, he had a 4.77 FIP. Mm-hmm. He's got a 90.9 percent strand rate so far this year. Yeah. No. I well, I'm glad. I feel a little more validated here. I mean, look, I wouldn't have dropped Boyd if I didn't, you know, feel pretty confident that he was overperforming big time. But uh, yeah, I would be surprised to see somebody pick him up next week, especially if he has a, a good start in his next time out. But uh, yeah, and this is a, you know this is a Tot Wars league for people who aren't familiar. It's a fifteen-team mixed league, so it's you know not it's not twelve-teamer. So that that gives you some indication of my my level of confidence in Matt Boy to keep up what he's he's done so far. Uh, well, let's just uh, spend a little bit of time here on a closer situation. We already talked about what's going on in Texas. Uh, now, the Phillies, of course, just made a change. So it was last weekend, I think, where we had a similar situation where the manager said, I'm going I'm to review this situation. And, of course, he made the change, booted Jemar Gomez from the role, put in uh, Joaquin Benoit when a lot of people were rooting for Hector Neris. Are, are we close to Neris time now? Because Benoit blew the save on, on Sunday uh, at the Nationals, gave up uh, three runs on two hits and a walk. 
So what's what's uh, Benoit's shelf life? Do you think? Well, with with every blown save, a forty year old closer uh, probably gets closer to losing the job. Uh, you know, Mackinnon was saying that he doesn't want to put pressure on the reach like this at this point of his career. But you know, and you know, Joaquin Benoit, it's people are saying, okay, I can understand. You know that he's done the job in the past and he's got something of a pedigree here, but. I think we have to remember that it took Mackinac a few tricks, uh, a few turns uh, with other people before before uh, he, he landed on Gene Mark Gomez. That's just the way he is. I say, okay, uh, he, you know, Benoit's done the job, but that was 35 saves in 2013 and 2014. He's not going to really dominate people at 40 years old. I, I, I still think Norris is the guy. Yeah, I, no, I do too. And if he's out there in a league, I think you got to get him. Uh, not that I think that Benoit is necessarily going to implode, you know, two, three times in a row here. But last year did seem to look like the beginning of, of some decline for Benoit. So I just don't have a lot of faith in him. And if you're looking for some validation uh, of that belief, uh, he provided it on Sunday. Uh, well, we haven't even gotten to the hitters yet. So let's take a look at some of the more notable hitting performances from Sunday. Certainly at, uh, at or near the top at list would have to be Trey Mancini, but I'm going to take a pass on my Mancini right now, Scott, because uh, in our final segment, I want to talk about uh, what you and I both did in Tout Wars in terms of our fab bidding this weekend, because I thought the results were were pretty interesting for both of us, and you got Mancini, and you outbid me, and so I was a little bit disappointed about that, but I'm, I'm going to save that talk for later, because we both obviously like him and uh, you know have some some uh, you know uh, analysis to do in terms of explaining why, but Eric Thames, uh, I haven't really been able to give him the time uh, that he deserves because what he's been doing lately is just incredible. He's now hit at least one home run in each of the last four games, a total of five over the last four, six on the season. Uh, so coming off of a great series at Cincinnati, uh, is two weeks enough to convince you that Eric Thames is is must start or? You still in wait and see mode? Is this just you know a weird one or two week hot streak for somebody that we haven't seen in the major leagues in several years? I think I'm in sort of a wait and see mode because he's looking like a forty homer in a guy right now, and I don't just don't know if that's it. Uh, the guy has an advantage of, of over other hitters that come from overseas because he's played in the majors before. But as you know, Al, baseball is a constant game of adjustments. Nobody's really got any real film on what this guy is. And once the league gets that film on him and they adjust to him, it'll be a matter of how he adjusts back, adjusts back and that's what he'll settle into. You know, this is, this is not the real Eric Thames. I'm not saying that the real Eric Thames isn't good, but, you know, they're going to adjust to him. And how he adjusts back, that's the type of player that he's going to turn out to be, I think. You know, once a few times around the league, the league gets to know you, uh, they start to pick apart some of your weaknesses. How do you adjust back? That's one of them. We're not going to know about Eric Thames until maybe like June. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Scott. Because <laughs> I think a, a lot of people are getting very overheated about him, and that's just, I think, the right perspective to put this in. If this were two weeks in you know, June or July, uh, you, you could write it off as, you know, well, okay, he's hot. But but who is this guy really? Well, what happens at the start of the season, and the guy has you know been overseas for years, 
there's there's just absolutely no way to know. So I am starting him in one of my 12-team mixed leagues this week, uh, just playing the hot hand at the utility slot. But I, I am just as uh, much in wait-and-see mode, Scott, as you are on, on Eric Thames. Now, I'm not in wait-and-see wait mode on Bryce Harper. <laughs> he had a two-homer game oh. on Sunday, three for four, and he's now hitting three thirty-three with a total of four homers on the season. So, you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about Harper, but he was a player coming into this year that people had questions about. Is is he a top three player overall, or is he just sort of a, a borderline first rounder? Um, I think the question for him is just health. But uh, you see it similarly, or you have more doubts about Harper's ability just to produce at a, at a very, very I don't think level. I have a problem Harper's ability, but again, it's baseball being a game of adjustment. There was a great article on ESPN in the preseason about how Joe Madden started taking the bat out of his hands in a big series with the Cubs last May, and he was never the same after that approach-wise. So seems like he's got a good approach back, and there's nothing worse. There's, there's nothing to worry about with Bryce Harper. Yeah, no, I uh, absolutely have to agree with that. And uh, in that same game, Cesar Hernandez, three for four with a home run and a stolen base and, and sort of flipping the script. It was his third home run, but only his first stolen base. So if you drafted Hernandez, you're probably drafting him much more for the steals. But he's hitting 346 this year. And, uh, you know, he's he's definitely generating some interest now with this good start. Do you think that the, the home run power is something we can look forward to seeing more of in the future or uh, any signs you see there at that point or, you know, at this point in your mind, just, you know, a Steels guy who's had a good couple of weeks? The Steels guy who's had a good couple of weeks and the Steels guys, the Steels owners are yelling at him. That's not what I drafted you for. I have other power hitters. Can you please steal bases? Can you, can you like, can you like pull up in second and steal third? <laughs> So, uh, well, you know, I've got Hernandez in a couple of leagues. I'm, you know, I'm not complaining, but uh, I am a little skeptical of the home run power. Some people do. Another player. Some people yeah, do. I'm sorry? Some people do complain. Yeah. Well, I'm also not complaining about Ender and CR tape, but when we come from come back from break, I want to talk about him as well, because he's another speedy guy who's having a really surprising power year so far. So we'll talk about him and the slumping Trevor story. Maybe a few other hitters, but I also want to get to that uh, Tout Wars fab analysis as well, Scott. So uh, if you stick with us after the break, we'll get to all that. Welcome back, everybody. FanRack Fantasy Baseball. Having you chill a little bit here on a uh, opening Monday of week three. But uh, there's an exciting uh, slate of games tonight. It's not just about the Patriots Day game in Boston. We've got nine uh, games going on this evening. And we've got a couple of lineups in. Uh, actually, we've got four lineups in, but two that just came in, the Braves and the Cubs. And uh, Ender Enciarte, who I talked about briefly before the break, and we're going to talk about much more in depth in just a moment, in his usual leadoff spot for the Braves. Uh, but no Tyler Flowers. So you got Kurt Suzuki catching and batting seventh. And uh, for the Cubs, no Javier Baez. So we've got Zobers, Zobers to end, and we've got an Albert Almora sighting uh, in center field for the Cubs today. So a lot more lineups to come. But let's go back, uh, talk a little bit about Ender and Ciarte, because Scott, like um, 
uh, like Cesar Hernandez, who we talked about last segment, somebody that we didn't draft for power, at least I, I know I didn't, uh, and hoping maybe for 20 or some odd steals from uh, NCRT and a 290 or 300 batting average. And he's really, really changed his approach over a two-week period. So he's got four home runs. He hit his fourth on Sunday in a two-for-three two performance against the Padres. And every indicator you might look at to see where the power is coming from in Ciarte, it's not a fluke. He's pulling the ball more. He's hitting more flies. And he's making harder contact. So what do you think about this from the uh, Braves' leadoff hitter, Slugger and Ender and Ciarte? Well, the guy never hit more than six home runs in any season before this year, and he's about to crack it. He certainly didn't show any any uh, any potential for this in the minor leagues. So, but sometimes, you know, with with a player like the power is the last thing to come. You know, this guy just turned twenty six years old recently. Uh, I was hoping to get like two ninety and ninety runs scored and twenty five steals. Uh, but if he's going to give you the power, too, you know, this guy might end up becoming a more valuable piece than we expected. He's only got one steal, but I think we expect a lot more than that. Yeah, and again, we're two weeks into the season, so he could he could easily get 20 steals st- uh, still. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's intriguing. And, I, you know, there's definitely a trade-off here because not only is he hitting more fly balls, but he's he's making less contact. So clearly, he's going for it. You know, he's going for the power. But on balance, it seems like it is working for him. He is uh, 20th on the ESPN player rater for outfielders. And in CBS points leagues, he's 21st among outfielders. So even though he's only hitting 250, that the power and the, uh, the seven RBIs, uh, which, you know, puts him well ahead of last year's pace, um, you know, they're, they're really paying off for him. So that's, that's one to look for. And by the way, I've, I've uh, featuring in Ciarte in, the waivers column that I wrote today that should be up on FanRag Sports a little later on today. So uh, if you want to know more, check that out. Uh, on the downside, though, Scott, Trevor Story, just a miserable start to the season. He's now batting 114. He has just one home run uh, on Sunday at the Giants. He went 0 for 4 with three more strikeouts. That takes his strikeout rate up to 38%. I think this is what a lot of people feared with Story last year, but aside from you know some brief uh, some brief uh, slumps before he, you know, uh, was out for the season uh, on the DL. He, you know, this is he pretty much was able to avoid this sort of thing. So, what what do you see for story this year? Uh, I'm not worried about. It. I think this is a slow start from a very talented player. You talk to people around Colorado. Not only do they love, do they love his, uh, you know, his talent. They also love his mental makeup. I'm not worried about this at all. You know, this is this case of a talented player starting slow. And how about a couple of Yankees uh, off to good starts? Well, actually, I shouldn't say one off to good start, one coming around, and that's Greg Bird, because Greg Bird was actually off to a miserable start, but then on Sunday, three for three with a home run and a double against the uh, against the Cardinals, and then that same game, Aaron Hicks, two for three, and now he's got three home runs on the year. Obviously, the playing time is going to be much more of a question for Aaron Hicks, but what do you see for them value-wise? Uh, well, plenty of time is going to be a question for Hicks, like you said. Ultimately, with Gardner in there and Ellsbury, if one of them gets hurt, he's going to get an opportunity for more playing time. And they still might give him enough just to keep the others healthy. I think Aaron Judge has proved, you know, he's not going to be in the minor leagues for, for long. You know Aaron Judge is like the, 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 tallest, uh, the, to, the tallest player 
in terms of weight as well. It, the, the biggest combination of height and weight in Major League history is 6'7 and 285. He's even bigger than that, Giancarlo Stanton. I was going to say, that's incredible, because I know he, he's you know, spoken with in that same you know, in the same breath with Giancarlo Stan, didn't realize he was actually bigger than him. That's incredible. That is. Yeah, he is. Wow. I guess when I go to well, the, you know, the ballpark to interview with him, I'll be looking far up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, it happens a lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, he'll be extra imposing uh, for sure. Well, Scott, let's uh, wrap up here with a little bit of talk about our uh, fab bidding from the weekend. Of course, we're both in the, Tout Wars Mixed Auction League. That's a 15-teamer, an OBP league. Um, and this was the first week out of the three, the first weekend, where I really was pretty active and aggressive on FAB, and yet none of my bigger bids won out. Um, and I was really looking for either Robbie Grossman or Trey Mancini uh, to, to fill in my utility slot, where currently I've been using Matt Joyce. And uh, didn't, you know, but I, I made pretty modest bids. I mean, I said I was aggressive. I was aggressive in terms of volume of bids, but not necessarily the magnitude of each bid. I went 32 on each of them. And uh, you blew me away. You got uh, Mancini at an $87, $87 bid. Now, this is out of $1,000. So uh, don't, get, don't get me wrong. Scott didn't just spend 87% of his fat budget on Trey Mancini. It was uh, 8.7%. You also got Manny Pena at $44 and Marwin Gonzalez at 17 And I'm actually very mad at myself for missing that opportunity because I think that's a great deal on, on Gonzalez. But um, you did miss out on some other bids. Uh, Avisail Garcia, you put a $127 bid on him, Chase Headley, 57 Mir Garrett, 47 So you could have actually spent a lot more than you did. How did you feel when those results came out? Were you relieved? To save yourself money, or were you bummed that you didn't get those guys? I don't think I would be there. You know, I put in multiple Okay, it uh, looks like we lost Scott, so uh, hopefully we'll get him back really soon. Uh, and, and you know, I'll talk about my, my side of the bidding, because like I said, Scott was very, uh, you know, much more aggressive in terms of how much he bid. 127 on Avisel Garcia, 87 on, on Mancini. I missed on Mancini and Grossman, and so I wound up getting three players, all super, super bargains. But I think when I tell you the names, you're going to think, well, it's good that those were bargains. I got Alec Asher for $13, so just over 1% of my budget. Jose Leclerc, who we talked earlier on the show, for $6. And Martin Maldonado for 6 And Maldonado is the replacement for Giovanni Soto, who was the replacement for Gary Sanchez. So I'm just going through catchers, uh, you know, like uh, they're, they're going out of style. And Maldonado was, was the obvious choice there. So I got him cheap. But I, I will say, and hopefully we'll get Scott back soon because he spent a lot more and he actually could have spent even more than he did given the bids that didn't go through. I was relieved in a way not to get Trey Mancini or uh, Robbie Grossman. Because I found last year I was much more aggressive on FAB than I had been in the past. And I ran out of money pretty early. And then I was having to you know, trade players for FAB. But it was not a good situation to be in. And um, you know, who knows if Trey Mancini is actually going to um, you know, be able to keep up this pace. Or even stay in the Orioles lineup on a regular basis. He started four games in a row. And then he uh, sat out Saturday, was, uh, or uh, I think he actually missed two, two games, and then was back. 
uh, on Sunday. So I don't think Buck Showalter has a set lineup for his outfield. And I worry about playing time for Mancini. And again, he's very unproven. So, uh, you know, to have outbid Scott and have, have had to have spent about 9% of my fad budget on somebody I'm not even confident is going to play enough, I was sort of relieved. Uh, and I, look, I like Mancini a lot. Um, if I could have gotten him cheaply, I, I would have been happy. But I'm glad I, did, glad I didn't bid more on him. And the same for Robbie Grossman, uh, who I don't worry about as much with playing time. And it is an OBP league, but is Robbie Grossman going to give me more than just OBP? I'm not confident. So I was kind of hoping to have a, a little bit of a philosophical discussion with Scott and see you know, if he feels like there's, there's something to be said by kind of Taking it, taking it really slow, especially early in the season with some of these more speculative picks. Um, and what I did do is I speculated on guys like Leclerc and Asher, who might have zero value. Leclerc might not get another save all season long. Alec Asher made one start for the Orioles, did not have a very impressive tenure uh, in his uh, couple of years with the Phillies. But he had a really nice start against the Blue Jays last week, also had a nice start before that in AAA. Uh, and he's in those two starts, a lot more strikeouts, a lot more swings and misses, a little bit of a different um, repertoire for Asher this year. So I thought, okay, if I'm only going to spend 1% of my fab on him, you know, maybe this somebody is somebody who turns out to be something we didn't expect. And then I'm only giving up, you know, about 1% of my fab. Same thing with Leclerc. Might not get another save. Might be a great ratios guy. Might actually be the closer later in the year. So, uh, you know, we'll see how this goes. Hopefully we'll have Scott on again sometime soon. Uh, it's a long season, and uh, I'm sure he'll have a lot to say about uh, how his season's going and, and how he's managing his, his fab budget. So this is definitely something that we will be uh, looking at again as the season goes on. So I'm sorry that Scott's not here to thank him for showing up. Like I said, hopefully we'll have him back on again sometime soon. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to Scott, and it was great to do uh, – uh, for this uh, this past hour so uh, we will be back on uh, Thursday we'll be back with Jessica Kleinschmidt so thank you very very much for tuning in have a great Monday and uh, stay tuned for the Pat Mayo Hour up next